Hello, everybody. It's Monday, December 12th. Chapo coming at you. Okay, uh, gentlemen, to uh, start off today's show, I have uh, one question for you. What are you going to do with all that fusion energy? That's right, fusion energy, now a reality. It's real carbon-free energy. It's free. It's infinite. Uh, the problems of the world, they're over, folks. We've got fusion power now. Um, can I show you how um, I, I would have I would have done that? Yeah. Brandon may be dividing the races apart, but he's bringing particles together. <laughs> and for the first time, it's energy positive. <laughs> he's America's first power grid president who's causing a race war. It's so dumb that he went with, we're going to cure cancer as his big fake promise when he was running in the first place. If he'd said fusion energy, people would have made just as much fun of him, but at least now he'd have been able to be like, aha, fuck you. Well, what if he gets that too? Like, what if? Well, then he's what, the GOAT. There's no question. <laughs> I really love the idea that America, like, we discover every science thing that we last talked about in 1999. Like, we get like completely clean, completely renewable fusion energy. We develop a cancer shot. There's like a big ceremony where Brandon is giving medals to scientists. It's the biggest like era for scientific discovery in like a hundred years. And O'Bungler is just in the crowd balling up his fists, thinking about like <laughs> how he's like, he's like just signed on to make 50 Netflix documentaries about like a guy who makes hummus. His only met, memory from his presidency that will live on will be the hip hop barbecue and the beer summit and the be beer like, summit, oh yes. i solved racism there that no, really no racial too. tension when he know? brought those guys together to have a blue moon in the white house that fixed everything i think uh, ha- yeah. having a blue moon that was that was the mistake just keep 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 fruit out of beer that, that's my you want to solve problems in this country have a real beer Get that wheat shit out of here blue moon really should have been the official beer of the obama presidency they should have <laughs> sponsored him because it's like exactly middle brow. It's perfect for him. Well, are you guys excited about this um, uh, clean energy breakthrough? No. <laughs> what, Why? Matt, come on. Why? Because there's no way. There's no way. Not going to happen. I don't know what they did. I'm sure it's impressive. I, I don't know how it works, but it's not going to do. It's not going to fix anything. They've made it. Uh, they, they got the for the first time ever. Uh, they were able to generate uh, energy from a fusion reaction, which is, you know, it's like the sun. They've created a new sun. China, we, we thought sun China too, did it. folks. <laughs> we thought China did it, but <laughs> yeah. uh, unfortunately, it's actually U.S. government scientists working to make a new sun. I mean, I personally am excited. I mean, I it either it's a completely renewable, like uh, zero waste, totally renewable thing for the energy grid, or it will kill everyone. There's really no telling. Yeah, no downside either. Like either all the problems are solved regardless. Yeah. Well. <sighs> One can one can only one can only hope what they're what what all this free clean energy will do for humanity. Um, I I just I, I, I hope, let's get it to market. Let's get it out there now. I will note this was developed by U.S. government scientists at the Lawrence Livermore Lab, and strangely not um, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. It seems odd to me that uh, they they were not the ones to come up with a limitless infinite energy source. Well, I mean that would be very bad for them to do because. <laughs> How are you going to make money off of that? Literally, it's free. It's the op- it's like a cancer cure. Like these are all things that kind of cannot be uh, a- 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 arrived at through profit motivated research. Uh, well, just to uh, to kick off the show and our new uh, free energy future, I thought 
look, uh, fellas, it's the end of the year. So what, what is my favorite thing about the end of the year? It's um, end of year best of lists. So mm, I yes. thought we would kick off the show today by examining um, the, the New York Times uh, list of best uh, podcasts, best oh, podcasts baby. of the year. And I just want to just go through it here and just see if we recognize any of these shows. Just, just you know, any thoughts you may have on the best podcasts to listen to out there. Uh, beginning with Articles of Interest, American Ivy. Anyone heard of this one? Oh, love that. Um, That's great. Articles of Interest? Is that like, is that the name of the podcast? And then American Ivy is like, that's like the season they're on. Uh, I, I think so. I think so. But I mean, if it's, if it's, if, if the concept of the podcast is articles of interest, then uh, they will be hearing from our lawyers because they, they rip that off our show. I like uh, the idea that it's a, uh, it's a podcast version of the show person of interest, only instead of trying to use surveillance technology to stop crimes, they're trying to use it to stop people from writing bad articles. <laughs> Uh, the, let's, let's see what the podcast is. It says, I, I want you just guys to just like clock in, just chime in the moment your brain turns off entirely. Okay. Okay. So the writer, producer, and host Avery Shuffleman has a grand theory about why the same basic clothing items, Oxford button downs, chunky sweaters, pressed chinos have remained wardrobe staples for the last half century in I'm this done. fascinating and heroically researched seven done. part done. series. Pressing button. Pressing <laughs> the button. <laughs> finally, finally a podcast that stimulates con- uh, conversation with your least favorite aunt. I've noticed that pressed chinos are always in style. That's awesome. I'm killing myself. <laughs> I'm imagining your, uh, a, a JDAM missile slamming directly into my cock and blowing up my. This is, this is this is this is according to the, the bet like one of the best podcasts of the year is is a seven part investigation into why into why button downs and chinos remain fashion staples. Mm. Says here, uh, produ- uh, Truffleman, a former producer <laughs> and reporter for the podcast Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, has enough passion and verve to stitch even unruly threads of race, sex. And class into place, so it's oh. interesting for the uh, you know the the racial, sexual, and class politics of of jeans and a T-shirt. Then this is the podcast for you. And Avery, Avery Truffleman is the writer, producer, Wait a host. No, no trauma. <laughs> Where, where's the trauma? <laughs> this is fucked up. Honestly, have you noticed that Dominicans uh, wear timeless classics like pressed chinos and checkered trousers? I'd like an investigation on like uh, you know. People who wear pajama pants, like their regular pants, that type of person. You mean a That's hero? Actually, a legend? No, I would say more like that would more be like, you know, someone who who is an adult who manages at Zoomies and like goes to pick up his girlfriend at junior high school. <laughs> someone who perhaps follows my chemical romance on tour, that type of someone who has like a squirrel tail on their keychain, that type of person. <laughs> okay. Uh, next, next up on the best of the year podcast list is a show called I was never there. Ugh. I mean, I, Me I, either. I, I, I've I never, never listened never to this show. I've never it. even heard I of hate, it. I hate this. T- this is like, let me guess. It's like about a guy from a town who disappeared. It's like one of those true crime podcasts where they try to produce it to make it, uh, you know, make it, um, about as good as an HBO max prestige crime series. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, Felix, Felix, okay, listen to the description here. The mother-daughter duo and hosts, Karen and Jamie uh, Zellermeyer, bring a personal lens to this homespun investigation into the mysterious disappearance of their friend, Marsha Ferber, in 1988. Felix, okay. undefeated okay. once again. 
I nailed it. Um, the thing I would not have guessed would be mother-daughter combo, which actually makes it kind of interesting because as we know, real Chapo fans know this, there, are, there is no set of natural enemies quite like mother and daughter. It's true. <laughs> They're like cats and dogs. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think perhaps this mother-daughter duo put aside their rivalry to disappear their friend, Ms. Faber, in 1988. They, that's right. They dissolved her bones with lies. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they all, solved they the disappearance. It. They did it. Yeah, and they did it because they knew one day there would be a podcasting and that true crime would be the most popular <laughs> genre and that they could make hundreds of dollars doing this and get on the best of the podcast list. <clears throat> Diabolical. I, 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 think, I think they would, like, immediately, like... If a mother and daughter dissolved somebody's bones and disappeared someone, they would end up, they'd have an argument over like, you know, whether an anthropology gift card is, is still valid. And the argument would devolve within 10 minutes and they'd be like, well, at least, you know, at least I didn't keep bone fragments in the drains after I sold the house, <laughs> you know, and the cops would be like, wait, what was that? Next up, um, legacy of speed. You think oh, this speed? is about, you know, sort of a, a homespun tale about biker crystal meth in the 1970s? Now, that sounds too cool. Homespun? No, it's definitely not that. No. Uh, I'm going to say Legacy it's of about, speed. I'm going to say it's about a family of uh, competitive bicyclists. That's a pretty good guess. I'm going to say it is a retrospective about, like, uh, a car, some type okay. of car. I'm going to say the Saturn, a Saturn sedan, <laughs> the fastest car in the world. An oral history of the Subaru Impreza. Yeah, now that would be pretty good. <laughs> All of the engineers who helped design the best car that exists. Uh, okay, this is the quickest checkout ever. I'm going to read you the description. Malcolm Gladwell is... Moving on to the next one. What's it about, though? Just I'm curious. Uh, it's yeah, about Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics, the, okay. uh, the Black right. Power salute. So, you know, I mean, at least oh. about sort of an interesting topic in sports well, history. But yeah, I'm sure they'll, they'll figure out a way to make it. We'll ruin shit. it. Uh, next up is Not Lost. What, what, do we, what, do we, what do you guys think this show is about? <laughs> it's about men when they don't look at a map or ask for directions. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! That's a little one for the ladies. I've. You know, a lot of these jokes have been at your expense. There's one for the men. <laughs> we can take it. We can dish it out and we can take yeah. it too. That's what yeah. makes us uh, awesome. Yeah. Not lost. It's about how men throw out their wives' bones after they kill them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't lose them. I threw them out. Not lost. It's about the disappearance of Melissa Farber killed by oh, a mother and daughter. The body is not lost because they know exactly where it's buried. I uh, know. Uh, the travel show isn't an obvious genre for podcasts. Trips for pleasure are often about the visuals, especially in the Instagram age. But this innovative new series captures the magic of both its category and its medium. Brendan Francis Newnam, not Newman, Newnam, the host Newnam. and a rotating cast of partners in many of the best episodes, the writer Daniel Henderson, parachute into a new place, Mexico City, Montreal, Bozeman, Montreal, no, sorry, Bozeman, Montana, Bozeman, Montreal. and try to make friends. The social imperative, Noonan's semi-formal objective in each locale, is to get invited to someone's home for dinner, steers the show into unexpectedly suspenseful territory. With the help of creatively deployed sound design, episodes simulate an alternatively alienating and sublime experience of inhabiting a strange land. 
Well, I don't really like that because he's probably like interacting with a lot of cultures where it's like you're so it's illegal to not like have somebody over for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Which is like most cultures that aren't like American or English or German, you know, like that's like every culture, but ours really. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing with house money. Yeah. Is Oh, isn't this amazing? I, you know, I walked into somebody's house in fucking Guadalajara and I didn't have my cock out and they invited me for dinner. Well, yeah, that's how everyone who isn't us acts. I think the uh, like the the sort of climax of this podcast series is, is trying to do this in Sweden, where it's illegal to invite <laughs> yeah. someone to your house for dinner. <laughs> I or, love or feed I, a stranger. I really like that they do that because that was one of the war. That was like a big fear I had when I was a kid, having to eat someone's. God, a lot of people just cook gross meals. Okay, <laughs> I would rather having, not having eat to eat than, out of social obligation a gross meal is very stressful. Yeah. Have you ever and had like, like a really like gray pan pan fried burger mm, with a side mm, of Pringles yeah. for dinner? That <laughs> was like, that was worse than if I had gotten abducted. That was actually worse. <laughs> I process, I process that memory. Like I got abducted. No offense to, if you're the mom who made that you're listening, but well, actually, actually, yes, actually, yes. You, uh, everything that went wrong in my life is because of that. Fuck you. <laughs> I would uh, listen to the show if there you find out halfway through that the guy's a vampire and he's uh, drink, drinking their blood at the end of the meal. That would be awesome. Oh yeah, and he has to get invited in. He has to get invited <laughs> in. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, like, uh, like those stories out of uh, Sweden where like you'd go to your best friend's house and then like their parents would cook dinner for him and not you, and then they would just leave you to your own devices to play video games. I mean, what's not to like? That sounds That's awesome. Perfect. Yeah. You have to make awkward conversation or eat their gross food. Okay, moving on. The next show is called Pivot. Pivot. Uh, something about a, uh, some disastrous tech company. Yeah. Yeah, it's like an oral history of, like, I don't know, Zappos or something. Yeah. That's what I'm assuming. Is that Kara Swisher's uh, show? Yes, this is Kara Swisher's podcast. Okay. So it, it is, okay. is tech-related. Kara Swisher in- Sweet. It's an oral history about the blunt rap she invented. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, that would, yeah, that, that, I would listen to that show. It says, in podcasting, as in love, chemistry sometimes strikes in surprising places. Exhibit A is this twice-weekly talk show hosted by two charismatic business analysts. Okay, okay checking no. out. Oh, checking uh-huh. out. Okay. Moving on. Uh, reveal after Ayosa Tinapa. Is that part of the title? Yeah, no, no. This is the next podcast. The next podcast is called Reveal After Ayosa Tinapa. Okay. I, I, should I know what that is? Uh, I mean, this is some horrible kidnapping and massacre in okay. uh, Mexico. All right. So, oh, okay. the, 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 uh, the, I remember this. This is the teachers or the, the, yeah, the was a, teaching the, students. A devastating mass kidnapping incident in rural southwest Mexico was left unsolved by local and federal officials in 2014. Yeah. And now, I remember, this, yeah. Is, this is like, this seems like actually like a worthwhile true crime investigation because that that case is still horrifying. Uh, yeah, yeah, horrifying and uh, officially unsolved, I guess. Uh, moving on, uh, next they one. Arrested a mayor Rump- and, a, and a bunch of people for it, but I don't know if there's ever been an actual reckoning with how it happened. I guess I could listen to the podcast and find yep. out. Uh, next up on the best of list is a show called Rumble Strip. Mm-hmm. This is a this is the show about having having uh, 1950s style gang fights. That would be cool. How to use a bike chain, a flick knife, you know, grease your hair, things like that. Something about cars, uh, no, it's something automotive. Here. What is it? 
this majestic, long-running, and hard-to-classify series is ostensibly about the everyday lives of everyday residents of the state of Vermont. Uh, checking out, <laughs> oh, checking God. out, moving oh, on. God, New Englanders <laughs> need to get the fuck God. over themselves. Oh, congratulations. You've got fucking trees that change color. Oh, my God. Let me suck your dick for eternity. <laughs> uh, it says here, to listen to Heilman's lyrical yet matter-of-fact reporting on a teenage student body president who took his own life or a lifelong dairy farmer's 11-year friendship with a black bear or the adolescence of a neighbor as recorded over seven years of conversations is to imagine a better world in which her clones are dispatched to every town, state, and country. So uh, get on cloning that podcast host and sending her to record the uh, various suicides and quiet (laughs) desperation of every New England town. That is brutal. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next up, the next show is called Unexplainable. Unexplainable investigation into squirting. What is it? Where does it come from? Uh, No, it's actually something similar. It says here, where did the moon come from? What sounds did dinosaurs make? Does anyone know how smell receptors actually work? In this weekly science series, Noah Hassenfield, Brian Resnick, and Meredith uh, Hadenot, and the explainers at Vox. Okay, uh, moving on. Yeah, got it. Brain turned off. It sounded kind of cool for a second, but nope. All right. Uh, next up is a podcast called Vibe Check. Oh, Vibe Check. Oh, oh. I'm already. I'm done at this point. <laughs> okay. I'm out. Uh, out. the author and poet Saeed Jones and the audio journalist Sam Sanders and theater producer Zach Stafford bring their real life friendship and group chat transcripts to thoughtful and endearing talk show. Uh, okay. Oh, it was the group chat transcripts. Oh, oh, really- oh yeah, yeah. They were in group chat one day and they're sending gifts and they're like, this should be a podcast. Wow. One guy's a theater producer. That makes it even better. Wow. Amazing. Uh, last on the list is Welcome to Provincetown. Uh, Any thoughts about where this is going? It, if it's, is it about, wait a minute, Provincetown? That's the gay it's mecca, P-town. right? It's the, the gay Fire Island, or was it? Okay, Fire yeah. So, something gay. So, gay themed something. That's all I'm going. Okay. That's all I can get. I don't know. Uh, Mitra Kaboli's 10 part documentary series chronicling the life of Matt Christman. Ah, no! Wow. <laughs> what a surprise. There we go. Who would have thought? I uh, know it says here. Uh, chronicling one summer in Massachusetts, gay beachside Mecca. Okay, so it's not Fire Island. I'm thinking of something else. Uh, gay beachside Mecca is filled with intimate scenes and unforgettable character studies. Or uh, unforgettable characters. Kaboli, a P-Town neophyte and listener surrogate, embedded for months with seven of the tens of thousands of seasonal residents who arrive annually in search of romance, fame, or sanctuary. Their story is supported with evocative sound design and editing. Check no. me out there. I hate, as soon as I they talk about evocative, evocative sound, sound design. design and editing, that's when I know you're in the in the realm of bad podcasting. Well, yeah, it's like I hate that when there's like, yeah, they act out like a real person. They're like, and he he was a he was a cobbler, and then they do like shoe making noises. <laughs> And he's like, they have him say something like on the nose that like no one would say in real life where he's like, well, I'm just a cobbler. And then it's just, that's the shoe making machine. But I, I sure hope I can get out of this sleepy vacation town and self-actualize as a person. And people are like, wow, that's great sound design. That's evocative. Like, you know, a lot of the times a cobbler can fix a hole in your shoe, but sometimes you also fix a hole in your soul. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you hear like you know little string music in the background, and it's just like just you know just just too many just so slices of life from the world of of Provincetown, the the gayest place on earth, if, or any place that Matt Chrisman isn't in. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, so that, that according to the New York Times, the ten best podcasts of the year. Uh, I would say they all other sound than great, the and I can't wait. I'm going to check out on all of them. <laughs> they all sound one. interminable. I do think that, like, for okay, if you are the type of person that like you only listen to podcasts that like the New York Times recommends, those probably are like the best podcasts, though. You know, yeah, like if they're not. They're not going to be listening to like podcasts about List or E1. Like those. That is. If that's how you get your podcast, you are not going to enjoy those shows, my opinion. No, but you're gonna Maybe have a good time with the, with these guys. With the, you're gonna love getting your vibes checked. Well, vi- I guess vibe check is like your come town. You're like, oh, yeah. that show's like a little too crazy. <laughs> that show's a little too crazy. They said Elon Musk has incel energy. That's a little <laughs> too nuts. But actually, uh, no, again, <laughs> again, again, you know, if vibe. <laughs> <laughs> vibe, vibe shift is known as the Saeed Jones show from now on. So just let's let's be clear here. Oh, they changed the name. Okay, yeah, they changed well, the that, name. That's that's come down then. That's yeah. that. It, if you're a New York Times, uh, if you take their cultural recommendations uh, on their face and don't just make fun of them, that is your come down. Well, some uh, some uh, some good podcasts you can listen to other than uh, the one you currently are. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to uh, the the news of the week. I suppose the uh, the major political news is uh, Kristen Cinema becoming an independent. I don't have much to say about this story. I don't think it'll really affect much. She's still going to vote the way she always does. So I mean, I, like, I don't think she, I don't think this is really going to. I mean, is, is is this trying to her stave off um, getting primaried in the next? Yeah, she's got much? terrible yeah. polling uh, against yeah. any any statewide Arizona democrat who would want to challenge her so she's more popular in arizona among republicans uh she's thinking she, i think she's thinking she could pull a lieberman but it, arizona is not connecticut there's the republicans are gonna want their own person and she's cooked that'll just be a I, republican seat yeah and i also it would be one thing if arizona was more of a toss-up but I don't know. I would say Arizona, I would put it as like le- leaning Democratic for like every election from here on out, pretty much. Yeah, but like uh, real it just close. doesn't like look good for Republicans. Like, Connecticut's been a solid blue state for generations. Like the Republican Party has in Connecticut, when they had the chance to vote for Lieberman as an independent, they were like thrilled to have a chance to, to yeah. defeat a Democrat. They're not the, the Arizona Republicans don't feel that way. They're, no, they're going to want their own not. person. Well, it's also like a new era of politics, you know, it's either like you're against like the satanic pedophiles or you're not, you yeah. know, there's no, yeah, there's no way to be, be like, like moderate on that. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I see the good and the bad in the satanic pedophile uh, cabal. I mean, I think the only thing of a uh, note in this story is that by becoming an independent, this cinema moves, but one just, just an inch closer to a certain square jawed Senator from Utah who is quite enamored by this kooky lady. And I think this could be a story for the ages. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess this is like, um, you know, if we put it in sort of like indie movie parlance, I think Mitt Romney has been watching a lot of movies with Parker Posey in them (laughs) because he's like, Oh, she reminds me of someone. Oh, I wonder who Mitt. 
But uh, this is the part in every mumblecore uh, early 2000s indie movie where the quirky girl almost uh, gets shamed out of town. And the square jawed hunk is like, don't don't let them tell you that you have to leave Provincetown. You know, whatever weird ass New England town we're in that this mumblecore indie movie is in. <laughs> this is sort of like a like she's all that, you know, like the the sort of teen romance where like Kristen Sinema will take off her glasses and Mitt Romney will realize that she's actually really hot. No, I would say it's the opposite. I would say if she just appeared as is, he like Yeah, you're right, he wouldn't her. be he wouldn't be into her. Yeah, but when she puts <laughs> on like, you know, cat eye glasses and a polka dot like Panama hat and a, a maxi skirt that's sort of patterned with a Roman centurion pattern. Uh, he's like, wow, she's the hottest woman ever and would never well, wear like that. Well, for like for a good Mormon guy like him, that's just about the craziest chick you can think of. But like, what if, okay, what if, what if she goes in the other direction and like dyes her hair black and starts wearing, wearing eyeliner and like listening to the Smiths and stuff? What if she becomes like a, like a goth, goth GF for Mitt Romney? Mm, I Do you think that would appeal to him. No, because he's probably like met a lot. Like he's probably seen that a lot. Like, that's probably one of the only way that was probably like the only way to like rebel in Utah for the longest time. He's like, he's definitely seen that before. He never, he never saw a girl like Kristen Cinema, though. Well, uh, best of luck to her uh, in her new independent uh, position. But yeah, you know, so she'll, she'll be doing, she'll be just uh, being independent. So congratulations to Kristen Cinema. But um, as long as we are talking about um, satanic pedophiles, I do want to bring up uh, the uh, dinner party held over the weekend by the New York Young Republicans Club uh, right here in Manhattan. They had their annual grooming gala and then boy auction at the end of the night. I just uh, uh, there's just a a write up of this and there's just one element from this uh, coverage of this uh, grooming gala that I'd like to share with you guys. And it involves our old friend uh, Pizzagate Jack Prilosek. And I just want to read you here. It says here, Posobiec, a radical right political operative, resides with his wife, Tanya, in Hanover, Maryland. The couple took an Amtrak Northeast regional train into New York's Penn Station Moynihan Hall on Saturday afternoon to get to the NYYRC gala. Train 88, that's pretty funny, <laughs> he took the train 88 to uh, the, uh, the Nazi dinner party, um, pulled in at around 3.45 p.m. and a hate watch reporter observed Posobiec and his wife deboard and enter New York City. Antifa, don't even think about it tonight, Posobiec posted to Twitter three hours later at 6.39 p.m. with the location of the tweet marked Manhattan, New York. All right, now here's the interesting thing that I want to take note of. The New York Young Republicans Club gave Posobiec a speaking slot and the Alan W. Dulles Award, named after the (laughs) former head of the CIA. The New York Young Republicans Club said in a December bulletin that the award is given to an individual who embodies the virulent anti-Marxist spirit of Dulles. (laughs) So I just like the idea of the, uh, you know, the uh, the the anti-deep state sleuth being given the Alan Dulles Award at the uh, New York pedophile gala. Dulles was the first white hat uh, cabal guy, obviously. Kennedy was clearly uh, was 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 he was going too far into the into the he was getting too many second helpings at the at the buffets if you know what I mean. Seemed like a uh, a fun night though a fun night for and then uh, it also talks about this guy uh, the you know the guy Josh Hammer who like Newsweek put in charge of their political coverage to be to be the based uh, Newsweekly 
Um, I just want a little here. It says, starting in May 2020, after editor Nancy Cooper and chief content officer uh, Dan uh, Kandapa brought political activist Josh Hammer to run Newsweek's opinion section, the 90-year-old publication has emerged as a hub for opinion pieces authored by radical right activists. Newsweek has published uh, Posobiec as well as the 2020 election lie pusher Raheem Kassam in recent years, and Hammer has also hosted both of them on his Newsweek-branded podcast. The three men sat together talking and laughing at table number six during the New York Young Republicans uh, Club event near the stage. When QAnon influencer turned congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene took the stage, Hammer stood up and applauded. When she endorsed former President Trump as her 2024 candidate of choice, Posobiec turned to Hammer and grinned. In January, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis invited Hammer on a tour of his office, and the Florida-based Newsweek editor has since hyped DeSantis as a potential presidential candidate. You going to go up there, Josh? Posobiec chided Hammer about Greene's endorsement of Trump, eliciting laughter from the table. A hate watch reporter approached Hammer after Green's speech, made an introduction, and asked if he knew Peter Brimlow of VDare. He's right here, right now, Hammer asked with excitement. I didn't even know he was here, Hammer said of the infamous white nationalist publisher. I'm going to say hi. The hate watch reporter asked Hammer how he got his job at Newsweek, and the reporter and the opinion editor abruptly stopped talking. He asked the reporter to identify himself again. When the reporter did, Hammer's expression slackened. He quickly claimed he did not know Peter Brimlow and left. Uh, just a little bit about Josh Hammer. I would just the, the only thing I'll say about Josh Hammer is please do yourself a favor and just Google image search Josh Hammer to see what this guy looks like. Because I mean that name just, makes him sound pretty cool. <laughs> I cannot I cannot do justice to thinking about Josh Hammer unless you simply Google what he looks like. Yeah, Imagine right. a regular Orthodox Jewish guy, but a little bit damper. Perfectly light bulb shaped head. All right. Well, uh, moving on, I have a, uh, a reading series for uh, for you guys today. This one was from uh, the other week, but I made sure to keep this one in my back pocket because it involves a topic that, you know, we love talking about. Matt, you brought up uh, none of the New York Times best podcasts of the year seem to deal with trauma of any kind. There was no trauma pretty messed up. or trauma check. Do better. Come on, podcasters. Well, here is an article about trauma, and it's about the trauma of a very specific subset of people. That's right. Uh, those who work in clandestine intelligence services, because, look, they got the health care bill for um, uh, Havana syndrome and nothing else. But the, 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 in, in their in the health care bill, there was not enough for their mental trauma and anxiety. So this is a, this is an opinion piece in Politico titled Don't Tell Your Non-Work Friends About the Decapitations. <laughs> Working in the intelligence community often means living with trauma. We can't pretend it doesn't exist. This is by Heather. No, I insist. I, I, <laughs> I am the one insisting that it, this, there's no trauma involved. It says this is by Heather Williams, is a senior policy researcher at the nonprofit, nonpartisan Rand Corporation. She formerly served as a deputy national intelligence officer for the National Intelligence Council and spent 13 years working in the intelligence community. She would now like to tell you about her trauma. So the article begins Many people grow up wanting to be secret agents. I fell into the field somewhat by chance, though it turned out I was good at it and advanced quickly. Less than a year into the job, I volunteered to deploy to Iraq, where the U.S. was hunting down terrorists like Abu Musab al-Zarqawi and dismantling al-Qaeda organizations. I learned how to fire a rifle, ram a car, search my vehicle for bombs, and withstand torture. So uh, right off the bat, she's saying she volunteered to go to Iraq and fight al-Qaeda there. That's the hero. We love her. Uh, but one night, 
in the U.S. while sitting down at a restaurant with my non-work friends, I too casually mentioned that suicide bombers tend to decapitate themselves in their attacks. A suicide vest tends to destroy the neck and send a head sailing. My friends turned to me with horror and shock. I was reminded that I shouldn't talk about this part of my life with my normal friends. I mean, uh, you mean normies, your lame right? friends, fucking losers. That's like, yeah, who, that is who an incredibly cool thing to hear from yeah, somebody. Who wouldn't, yeah, who wouldn't be interested in that factoid that often suicide bombers' heads are perfectly preserved after obliterating the rest of their body? I bet these people were like, uh, too much information. Yeah. <laughs> Your problem is, is you need better friends. Get out of here. This is like when you leave the Invader Zim Forum and start talking to people outside of it. <laughs> I think that's why they all have to give themselves uh, tactical tummy aches with fake Havana syndrome because their friends are too lame. Yeah. It did say she was trained to withstand torture, but apparently she can't withstand a dinner party. Come on. They got to update the SEER manual to include that. <laughs> like have, having your anecdote uh, not land at a dinner party. A portion of U.S. intelligence professionals are in the military, but many are civilians. That doesn't stop them from serving in Iraq, Afghanistan, and a host of other dangerous places. Many, like I did, wear a Kevlar helmet and body armor, carry a loaded weapon, and are classified legal combatants. Others watch hours of beheading videos to identify ISIS trademarks, conduct heartbreaking searches for POWs, or identify human remains at the sites of terrorist attacks. Well, if it's a suicide bomber, it'll be pretty easy to identify the remains. Just yeah. <laughs> find the head. Just find the head. Find the head and, you know, just match it to the uh, driver's license. Easy. Um, I do like she said that uh, part of part of uh, what's traumatizing is uh, watching hours of beheading videos to identify ISIS trademarks. I mean, I think after one, you pretty much get what the trademark is. Yeah, they, they yeah, cut the guy's head off. Cut a, cut a guy's head off. Yeah. They're pretty one. Like, I, I got to say, the cartels are, have, are way more showmanship. A lot of more variety there. They'll bring a chainsaw in once in a while. Machete. Yeah. Dull machete. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I just like the idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that's a job that would give anyone trauma. You know, you gotta, I got to be an ISIS video completist. I got to see it all. This is the same trauma that like Facebook moderators in the Philippines have. Only they're paid like five cents a day. And no one they don't get to get uh, free health care for life because uh, they, they slept too close to some crickets. When you see, <laughs> when you see a non-ISIS guy use an ISIS trademark, in a uh, beheading video, do you get to like DMCA them? <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on now, making money off my content, <laughs> sending a copyright strike to the Sinaloa cartel for yeah. <laughs> infringing on ISIS trademarks. Uh, okay, it says in our line of work, being exposed to violent and traumatizing events all day is routine. I mean, I mean, once again, it's like being exposed to violent and traumatizing uh, events. It's like rather than just doing violent and traumatizing events. Yeah, it's, 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 kind, of, it's kind of like Willy Wonka talking about how he's exposed to candy. <laughs> uh, it's Yeah, exposed to violent and traumatizing events all day is routine. And then we leave the office to go home to our family. It's a life that we signed up for, but it doesn't mean that there aren't real consequences. For too long... <laughs> The real consequences being that you feel bad about yourself, not not the dozens of people you've, whose torture that you oversaw personally. Uh, it says here, it's a life that we signed up for, but it doesn't mean there aren't real consequences. For too long, the intelligence community has ignored that reality to the detriment of both its people and the country they serve. Fortunately, there's still plenty that can be done. We, uh, they already got the Havana Syndrome money. <laughs> 
What else well, they, do they Matt, fucking want? Jesus Christ. Matt, that's that's to stop the invisible cricket lasers from cooking their internal organs. But you can't that doesn't heal the soul. Okay? I like the subtext I like the subtext of this. Like, um, it's completely preventable for me to feel bad about my job that I'm supposed to feel bad about. Yeah. Like <laughs> hey, you know that like basic human fundamental uh sense of right and wrong? Uh, that is just screaming at every moment because of the job I do. Is there some sort of pill I could take? Some sort of uh, subsidy you could give me to just uh, just wipe that out, please, so I can this do my like, job more effectively for the American. Yeah, people. I get a um. I'm a. I think the best website on the internet is Quora. I, oh, I love Quora. I signed up for Quora so I can get daily emails of like what the trending questions on Quora are. But this is like such a Quora question, like. I work at the CIA and I'm feeling a, a, a symptom similar to guilt, but I don't think it's guilt. <laughs> what is it? That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, shout out Alex P. Tech and Jeremy and their show Cora Raiders that I went on last week that featured a Cora question. Will anything bad happen to me if I throw up a gang sign for fun? <laughs> <laughs> God damn. Cora is so good. There's another. We did another core question. Was that like, if an anaconda has wrapped itself around your torso, can you bite the anaconda as a last resort to get out of its death grip? <laughs> Good and question. And the answer is no. You can't. It will do nothing. It will only hasten your death. I mean, you might as well try at that point. <laughs> what else you got? Nothing. You got nothing. Yeah. You, actually, I might try to bite just to like get more air out of my lungs so that I die quicker, so that I'm not still alive when its mouth goes over my head. Yeah, that would suck. I like the I like <laughs> that, the idea that, that someone asked that question wall wrapped. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I hope there's somebody online right now who has experience with this. Yeah, I have to I have to ask like a guy like a computer programmer from Myanmar, like the only people who answer questions in earnest on Quora. <laughs> people from the subcontinent. God bless them. They have more of like a civic they're more civic minded than like any American. They're trying to help. They well, literally actually, are though. They literally are. And they will. There are so many questions that are like such clear, like, you know, it's like a, it's like probably like a 13 year old being a smart ass, you know, it's like the type of thing me and my friends would ask when we were that age. It'll be like, Oh, I like, I touched my penis and something came out. But the actual response will be like, what you're experiencing is ejaculation. You probably saw semen on the ground, if not pee. What color was it? Like, it's, it's, um, I think if Elon Musk was a true internet connoisseur, he would have bought Quora yeah. instead of Twitter. Yeah, if he really wants to save the world, giving <laughs> From people the access mind virus. To, to helpful uh, hints and advice, better than just, uh, yeah, driving them insane with comments. This is about, this is about, saving civilization because if wokeism compels young people to think that they can get out of an anaconda wrapping themselves around their bodies by gnawing on its flesh then i mean our humanity doesn't have much of a future let's put it that way no uh let's see uh so it says here yes for too long the intelligence community has ignored that reality to the detriment of both its people and the country they serve fortunately there's still plenty that can be done Trauma is defined as actual or threatened death, injury, or violence. But there is also secondary trauma, 
the repeated or extreme indirect exposure to adverse details of a traumatic event during the course of professional duties. The latter has been recognized as a problem in other professions and in the narrow case of intelligence officers who operate drone aircraft, but is rarely talked about broadly in the intelligence community. When I came back from my deployments, I had one, admittedly pro forma and superficial, required meeting with a psychologist, but no one ever checked in on me about my feelings on more than a decade of work immersed in violent topics. Oh my love, God, just there. drink I, yourself to death like a real spook, for Christ's sake. James Jesus Angleton is weeping into his fifth martini of the day in hell. Pathetic. Uh, no, but I like that she says, uh, the way she phrases this, that no one checked in with me about my feelings after more than a decade of work immersed in violent topics. Yeah, this is like she's a, she's like a, a moderator on the on the torture forum. She's like, I gotta I gotta wade into this topic again. Uh, the intelligence community doesn't have a good understanding of how prominent these problems are, particularly the impact of indirect trauma, or how to shift to a more proactive approach to addressing trauma exposure. At Rand, where I now work, we've been looking at the risks of lasting trauma on those who do intelligence work. We interviewed middle and senior managers from multiple agencies and found that there are some mental health supports available for intelligence professionals, but they appear underutilized and may not be equipped to meet the true scale of the need. That would be a damn shame if they couldn't meet the true scale of the need. Is, is, is this the jobs everyone's going to have in the future? You're either an app slave or you're the personal uh, uh, consoler of deep state murderers. Is that it? That's your only non-app related job is... They call you up at any hour of the night, and you're like, no, you're a good person. Uh, finger, fingernails grow back. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> More broadly, the intelligence community lacks a culture of mental wellness. <laughs> wow. That's my favorite. I think that's my favorite sentence that I've read this year. I'm just going to go, DJ, DJ, run that back. <laughs> More broadly, the intelligence community lacks a culture of mental wellness. Uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's, when, I, it's, when the third Iraqi cab driver who was sold to us begged for his life in one of our torture dungeons, <laughs> I, I thought that the culture there was really affecting my wellness. See, this is why you need these people to be immersed in occult practice and to do like overt ritual abuse, because if they don't, they just become these embarrassing dorks. You have to like lean into the evil. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to win the Alan Dulles Award with this, with this crybaby <laughs> horseshit. Because uh, we found there's a poor understanding of the risks, particularly of secondary trauma among all levels of staff. I love it's like, yeah, we, we're all aware of the risks that like someone may kill me for all the evil I do in the world. But no one really prepared me for the secondary trauma caused by all the evil and suffering that I inflict on other people. That means, individu uh, sorry, uh, that means individuals may fail to recognize the effects of this stress, or they may lack the vocabulary needed to describe their feelings so as to effectively seek care. Intelligence professionals adhere to a strict code of ethics, which includes remaining neutral when informing policymakers about issues. This makes them party to life and death decisions, but without the agency to determine their outcomes. They must defer to policymakers about whether, for example, the U.S. will act to prevent atrocities they anticipate. Missing something, too, can bring on a sense of guilt and blame. God, I, I, hate, I hate working in the intelligence community and being riven with guilt about all the atrocities I, I stopped. I, I could have stopped from happening, but didn't. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, oh, it's, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, my biggest flaw is that I'm a, uh, too much of a perfectionist. <laughs> 
<laughs> I work too hard at my job. Yeah. Intelligence professionals can also experience moral injury, a no. less understood what? form of trauma. <laughs> moral injury stems from failure to prevent or bearing yeah. witness to acts that violate their deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. This can happen when intelligence programs overstep their authorities and violate civil freedoms, or even when those in a position of political power fail to protect secrets obtained through great risk and sacrifice. Uh, Julian Assange did so much, he uh, caused so much trauma to so many intelligence workers. Oh my God, they're just, uh, there's so much imposter syndrome caused by that. I think we should, he'll never I think we should, okay, like, with the damage. As, as a way to heal their trauma, I think we should stop calling them derogatory things like spooks or spies or war criminals. I think, you know, they should be called torture workers. <laughs> torture work is work. <laughs> torture work is work. Um, the intensity of the job can compound damage from trauma exposure, both deployed and at home. I worked long hours on rotating shifts, factors that can be more detrimental to mental health than direct combat exposure. So she's saying working long hours in an office can be more traumatic <laughs> than direct than combat exposure. Wait, dodging mortars. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, poor yeah, management the, and toxic yeah. work environments, which are sadly too common in the intelligence community, can exacerbate the risk. Folks, the CIA is a toxic work environment, and they, they have to do better. They have to do better. I'm a bisexual torture worker with mental health problems because <laughs> of my toxic work environment. Uh, stigma is a well-recognized hindrance to seeking mental health care, but intelligence officers may furry, further worry that seeking help, even through official channels, could compromise their security clearance. Yeah, no shit. You, st you start to ask the official CIA fucking psychologist, they're like, hey, I'm starting to feel bad about some of the things I've seen and done. Do you think that will hinder your career? Do you think you'll get the promotion that you're hoping for? You know what? Uh, you sound stressed. Uh, why don't you take these tickets to see a magician in New York City? <laughs> 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 we've got you a new te hey look stressed out torture workers we've got you a new self-driving tesla that's networked <laughs> with our computer servers <laughs> it'll get you to your therapist's office or off a bridge if needed well michael hastings uh prescription uh it says they're often uh they're they're often legally prohibited from talking about their professional experiences with their family and friends which could typically be an important support network for someone experiencing trauma the effects ripple through these agencies, which are vital to U.S. national security. Employees suffer from depression and substance abuse or reduce productivity and professional burnout. Oh, God. Can't have that. Reduce productivity at the torture factory. Uh, that can prompt unnecessarily high staff turnover, which has higher stakes in a sector where people require costly security clearances and depart with a head full of secrets. One positive note is that the intelligence community isn't the first to deal with these problems. It is simply late to doing so. There is a wealth of, there is a wealth of applicable literature on trauma risks for the military, first responders, journalists, and other professions. But intelligence leaders must be willing to dedicate attention and resources to the problem. The intelligence community needs to communicate to its workforce about the varied forms of trauma, how it affects individuals, and what resources exist to help. And employees won't seek that help if they fear it will cost them their jobs. So intelligence officials need to ensure policies are clear, available, and protect staff appropriately seeking care. Lastly, the community should research how to design and implement programming that will cultivate an environment of mental wellness. Well, I'd like to just recommend uh, a wonderful program. It's about, it's about the lives of people in Vermont. It's about a student <laughs> body president. 
It's about the it's about the local guy who keeps his Christmas lights up all year round. And we use sort of a lot of heavy editing on audio design to bring their stories to life in a way that will you'll feel that trauma melting away, and you'll want to you want to live in in that small Vermont town. I am luckier than most. My parents are social workers, and I grew up in an environment where feelings, even the dark ones, were seen as healthy. My husband has experienced war. I don't feel I have to hide my emotional scars from him. As time has passed, I tell myself it has gotten easier. But in truth, I am just less frequently confronted with reminders of my deployment. I continue to research some of the world's ugliest problems, and resilience and hardiness are requirements of the job. But even now, I sometimes feel myself approach the fraying edges of my own emotional capacity. She, folks, she's out of spoons. The spoons are gone. The spoons are gone. Uh, fortunately, there's a rich spoon deposit in an <laughs> unstable African country. Uh, we're going to send you there to just drop a bunch of opium and, uh, and underage children on top of some warlords so that we can get access to them. And finally, that secret agent job you might have imagined... There are days it is adrenaline-filled and even glamorous. It is also isolating and relentless. It inflicts mental and emotional costs. The consequences of ignoring those can be tragic, either individually or to the nation. Protecting the intelligence workforce can help protect us all. There we go. All right, yeah. The hug boxes for uh, CIA operatives. That's what they need. Like just a robot. that hug- it could, They could repurpose the, the drowning robots to also hug them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, before, before, get some time to, kill for, to wrap out the rest of the show. Do you want to just get back into the uh, the New York Times best of lists and take a look at what they think are some of the best? Yeah, what else what is going on? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, you want to do uh, movies or TV podcasts. shows? Those are fire podcasts. I can't wait. To, I'm going to listen to all of them as soon as we're done here. So I need to know what shows to watch, too. So these are the the best movies of 2022. All right, let's go. This is Manola Dargis and A.O. Scott. Uh, A.O. Manola Dargis, uh, let's see, her list, the number one best movie of the year is a movie called EO. I have no idea what that is. Okay, any guesses? Any guesses what EO is about? Uh, EO, is it like two letters? It's just two capital capital letters, letters? EO. It's it's the prequel to when Old MacDonald got a farm. (laughs) When he was young Well, actually, that is what it is. Felix, did you know what this movie is? No. Is that actually it? Yep. I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) Uh, soon after this indelible heartbreaker opens, a little circus donkey called Eo, named for the sound he makes, sets off on a strange, at times phantasmagoric adventure. Along the way, he encounters other animals, but more consequently, kind and cruel people whose treatment of him reflects the denatured world that we have made. So this is a story about a circus donkey, Felix. So you're right. This is basically a prequel to Old MacDonald Had a Farm. Wow. Movies are just getting better. They're already great. Just getting better. I mean, I'm I'm sort of surprised that there's now two donkeys in the running for best actor this year because you know Jenny the donkey and Banshees of Inner Sharon. That, I thought that that was the best donkey performance of the year, but I have yet to see Eo. Uh, next up, a movie called Petite Maman. What? Petite Maman. Who the fuck is that? Is that a guy too? <laughs> is that a is that, what animal is that? Is that a is that a uh, bedraggled skunk? What who is that? <laughs> Uh, Petite Maman is set largely in and around a house nestled in the woods. Skiyama's Lilliputian tour de force is a wittily modern fairy tale and model of elegant narrative economy. At its charming center is a young girl who, together with another new acquaintance, ventures forth on a modestly scaled yet expansive journey filled with delights and enchantment, one that finds our little heroine embarked on the greatest, most mysterious adventure of all, love. Streaming on Hulu. 
No, thank you. No, thanks. Uh, next up, three. Nope. Uh, nope. This is this is a movie people probably have seen and heard of. Uh, nope. I thought it was uh, not very good. Yeah, eh. It, it, it was did not it, like, there were away. good parts in it. I I liked you know any I, I like seeing Michael Wincott back in movies again. But there are parts I liked about Nope, but it just didn't didn't really cohere into any it, you know. Uh, what did you say about 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 Nope? Is that Jordan Peele has to have his metaphors taken away from him? Yeah, he just he's too. He loves the metaphors, and he's just he's clearly anxious about letting anything like settle into a coherent thing because then it can be like observed. So he just kind of wants to let it float all over the place, and then you you kind of basically he dares you to say it's not good. Uh, next up is a movie called No Bears. Well, I mean, well, get I, out, I, I, out already, already off the bat, I'm not. I did yeah. not like th- this movie at all. You're I mean, guaranteeing I'm, I'm, that the movie is not going to have one of the best things that a movie can have. Is a fucking bear. <laughs> that 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 that's usually true, save for the revenant, which was ass. That was not good. Um, uh, no bears. Uh, it says here for years the veteran filmmaker pa- uh, Panahi, a longtime critic of the Iranian government. Okay, I won't be seeing this movie. Yeah, get out of this propaganda. It's slandering get it out the of Islamic here. Republic CIA operation. I, I have no interest in seeing this. Uh, next up is uh, Kimmy by Steven Soderbergh. This is a movie I actually did see. Um, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. It's it okay. Sort of like, uh, it was yeah it was it was I don't know if it was the best movie of the year but it was sort of that's like a, a wild thing to put on your list but internet post internet post covid rear window but you know it was a, throw it on I mean I watched it I I watched it on a streaming website and that seemed appropriate and to me that's not yeah. that means it's not really a movie but you know Steven Soderbergh it's always nice to see his little little formal experiments and uh, you know yeah, the, he knows the guy's he's very doing. varied in his uh, output uh, next up we got uh, the Eternal Daughter by Joanna Hong. Every mother's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> this daughter just won't die. <laughs> Can't get rid of her. Uh, this one is with a stunning Tilda Swinton that play, who plays both mother and her adult daughter in this beautifully controlled, affecting story about memory and grief. Wait a minute, so this is, this is this fucking awards <laughs> bait clumps shit here? That is the most... <laughs> Tilda Swinton does the clumps? <laughs> Dude, that is the most fucking girlfriend movie I've ever heard of. Yeah, that is like uh, the platonic ideal of like a movie a girlfriend forces you to watch. <laughs> they, if there exists like a platonic ideal of like a YouTube video a, a boyfriend forces a girlfriend to watch, where it's like you know uh, Hitler's top ten most evil cars, <laughs> this is the female equivalent. Well, you know that's, they both that's exist the... in polar opposites of the realm. Yeah, and and you have to sit through with them to prove your devotion to the relationship. Yes. Uh, Felix, I saw I saw a tweet the other day from uh, a young lady who said uh, the worst thing I ever had to do to get dick was watch DJ Vlad interviews. <laughs> oh no, is this about me? <laughs> really, might have been about. You know, it's me. like one of those things. It's like it's a test. You know, every yeah. young lady you bring back, you throw on the Soldier Boy interview. If she's not vibing with it, then you know it's bad news. <laughs> Everyone likes the Soldier Boy interview where he claims that he shot five people in self-defense in a home invasion. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> so I looked over to Abraham and I said, give me the Glock. Bow. <laughs> yeah, he describes awesome. killing six people in a, during a home invasion in his studio in Atlanta. That uh, The police just never followed up on that. It was just it happened. You know, don't ask any questions. <laughs> He's so awesome. Uh, that, that rules. Okay, uh, next up, a movie called Happening. Happening. I thought they already made this movie. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, they made that movie. It was about trees murdering people. It ruled. 
Marky Mark is a scientist. Mark yeah. Wahlberg as a science teacher is one of the best, one of the most artistically interesting <laughs> miscastings ever in any movie. Especially since it's not just like his job, you know, as a background thing. It has, there's key moments that hinge on him using his scientific mind to save them. And, and Shyamalan uh, uh, <laughs> dramatizes that by just like, Going in on his close up of his face with his like knitted ass brow, just going like, I'm thinking, hold on a minute. Let me just let me just do the scientific Matt, method here. Matt, do you remember no, the opening yeah. scene of that movie where he's quizzing kids on what's happening to the bees and he's just yeah. like, We really don't know. No, no one knows what's going on with the bees. Yeah, they're gone, but we don't know where they went. And like he's a science teacher, but he's telling these kids that science doesn't have the answers. Yeah. Science <laughs> it's basically yes, it's, we don't know. Gotta talk to Father Stu. Gotta talk to Father Stu about the bees. Uh, happening says based on the memoir by Annie Ernau, who won the Nobel Prize in Literature this year. Yeah, won't no be seeing you. that one. Skip. Uh, Decision to Leave by Park Chan Wook. Uh, you know, I've I, I liked his movie Old Boy, uh, Lady Vengeance. Uh, this is, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm a little bit like every everyone has described this movie as yet another internationally acclaimed filmmaker doing a riff on Vertigo. I do love that. Uh, I mean, I'll probably see this when it's if 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 Vertigo happened today, it would be called the Catfish. <laughs> if rear if Rear Window happened in 2022, you would accidentally join your neighbor's Instagram live while he's killing somebody. <laughs> if North by Northwest happened today, you'd accidentally be in someone's close friend circle, and that person would be a spy. Psycho would have a thread would have a thread written about him on Twitter. A <laughs> woman who fucked him and said he's weird. <laughs> uh, next up uh, is expedition content. Expedition content. Expedition content. Now that's that sounds like a movie, all right. Uh, yeah. It says this documentary made for the weirdest movie-going experience I had this year because for most of its seventy-eight minutes, all it shows is a black screen. This has to be a oh, joke, wow. right? God. Wait, wait. Although the movie includes a few brief visuals, the relative absence of imagery forces your attention on the soundtrack, which consists of audio recorded during the making of Dead Birds, an ethnographic classic about the downy people of New Guinea. The result is a mind-expanding inquiry on anthropology, how it speaks and for whom, and on cinema itself. So wait, this is a movie that is just a black screen and then the audio of an already made documentary. This so is James like, O. Incandenza ass shit. No, thank you. This is like something that like a Trump voter would say a liberal watches to make fun <laughs> of them. Oh, what do you watch a movie that's 78 minutes where there's just nothing on the screen and you just hear audio and it's supposed to make you reconsider ethnography? Uh, yeah, actually, I did. was one of my favorite movies of the year. Not my ass. Bullshit. Reconsidering orthog. Uh, <laughs> what is that? Is so fucking stupid. Fucking uh, 1999-ass movie. All right. Uh, next up is All the Beauty and the Bloodshed by Laura Poitras. This okay, is, you had uh, me at Bloodshed. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, okay, Laura, let me guess. The government did something bad. Take a hike, honey. <laughs> no, I'm... So this movie... <laughs> I'm movie sure uh, this is good. I, I keyed into this. Matt, this movie is promising both beauty and bloodshed, which are like the two things that really I think every That's cinematic experience we all want out of includes. films. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see what it's about. Uh, it says here, Poitras's tough-minded, formerly graceful portrait of the photographer Nan Golden. Her art and activism opens with Golden huddled with some like-minded compatriots outside the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Okay. False mm-hmm. advertising. Boring. Yeah, we'll not here. No, me real no, chance this... of bloodshed here. I actually heard this was good. I heard this was a good movie. And okay. I think I think it sounds interesting. Well, Laura well, Poitras has done good. They stuff, sure should not call it all the beauty and the bloodshed. It should be like it should be called no cloudy with a chance of bloodshed. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then uh, let's just briefly run down A.O. Scott's list of uh, top ten Ayo. movies. All right, well, this one this one is really. I mean, like he's already signaling that he has no credibility here because his number one best movie of the year is Nope. Come and I think on. We, we've already oh. ably dispensed it. It was that. okay. Get a fucking grip. Uh, next up is a movie called Neptune Frost by uh, Saul Williams and uh, Anasia Uzeman. It says, speaking of radical and new, this masterpiece of anarchist aesthetic faces down our current dystopia, one in which African miners are worked to death to dig the minerals that power the West's technology. Sexual and political violence are endemic. Ecological catastrophe and genocide are in danger of being normalized. And summons up a utopian spectacle of music, music, silliness, sex, and beauty. A hundred years from now, if the planet survives, this will be counted among the classics of our sorry time, taught in schools and quoted in speeches. Uh, they, I, I could see. I could imagine watching this one. I'm, Certainly, I'm yeah. By the description, you know, if you feel like you're a little vitamin deficient and you need to, you need to take your vegetables, and then after right, you ne- eat it, you're like, oh, I actually feel better. I should have done that earlier. Uh, next up is a movie called uh, Mr. Bachman and His Class by Maria Speth. Mr. Bachman and His Class. This is a, this is a, a sequel to Mr. Holland's Opus. No, it says when they aren't hailed as he- he- heroes, school teachers are held up as scapegoats. The actual work they do is rarely examined with the kind of rigorous, sympathetic scrutiny that Speths brings to her in his portrait of a German educator approaching retirement. Her documentary oh. is an argument for paying attention and a lesson in how to do it. I'm sorry. I will I never think, pay I attention. Think, I don't think documentaries should be on your list of best movies of the year. It should be best I documentaries. Think, I think it's a different thing. Yeah. It's not really the same thing. You should have a separate list. Uh, I wouldn't not see this movie if you paid me to. It's life <laughs> of a German te- school teacher. Don't care. Uh, next up is After Sun by uh, Charlotte Wells. This is a movie I've heard quite a bit of buzz about. It says here, a father, Paul Mezgal, and his 11-year-old daughter, Sophie, Frankie Corio, take a vacation on the Turkish coast, a trip filtered through Sophie's adult memory. This debut feature feels so matter-of-fact and unaffected that you may not notice the complexity and assurance of its craft. Its emotional power, though, is unmistakable. Heard good things about this movie. Uh, next up, five no bears. We've already talked about that. Uh, number six, Tar by Todd Field. Folks, we love Tar, week. don't we? Yeah, tar. Lydia Tar. <laughs> She's got in trouble. People, people don't like her anymore. <laughs> Lydia Tar is not hot anymore, folks. Folks, she wanted to conduct Mahler's Fifth Symphony, but it's not gonna happen for her. <laughs> I watched Tar this weekend and I thought it was great. I thought it was a, I thought it was really good. So I'm giving two thumbs up to Tar. It's a it's a bit of a bit of a bit of a, a much to marinate. Tar is the definition of much to marinate on. I'll leave it at that. Oh, right, where you don't want to get in trouble, so you don't say anything about it. Very clever. <laughs> uh, I I'll see it at some point. Sure, I like Todd Field a lot as a director. Yeah, Todd, you Todd can't Field. go wrong with Blanchett. She she might be uh, a uh, camp hen in the words of Lex G, but she's. <laughs> I mean, what am I? What am I? I'm watching a movie here. What do I want? You know, I want somebody going for the rafters. I will. I will say uh, I don't want to give too too much away about Tar, but it is, I, it is like 
rarely because like I, I only observed Tara through like the uh, debate about it. And I really was I as ill prepared for a movie I thought I was going to see versus the one I did see. I will just say I thought it was going to be some sort of like cancel culture morality tale. And it is really not that at all. It is completely different. And what I will say about Tar is that our boy Nick Nightingale picked up a few tricks from the old master Stanley Kubrick. Uh, next up is a movie called Lost Illusions by Xavier Giannoli. It says, this bre- a breathless tour of the sleazy, seductive modern media system in which reputations and loyalties are bought and sold. Hype trumps truth and gossip makes the world go round. It's early 19th century Paris, but the period atmosphere only makes the present day revel- relevance more piquant. Benjamin Voisin plays Lucien, a young poet from the provinces who is all too happy to savor the corruptions of the capital. Mm. Need it, need it or keep it, boys? Lost illusions? I, I, I don't see it happening in my particular case, but you know, I, <laughs> I respect the effort that went into it. So it's about like a, like a newspaper 200 years ago. Sounds great. <laughs> you really take a lot of lessons about what it's like now. <laughs> uh, next up is All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. We've already talked about that. And then number 10 is a movie called Down with the King. Already starting in on Charles, man. He, this guy can't catch a break. Come on. Give him a minute. What's, what's this one about? This is by uh, Diego Angaro. It says, while not explicitly a pandemic movie, oh, uh, throw oh this one boy. out. Oh, Spanish director. Let me guess. A guy has sex uh, with someone who's like slightly underage and a picture of his mom is like close to him. Let me guess. He does a weird sex thing that you're supposed to think about. Uh, let me let me, let me guess. He, his wife is an amputee. Uh, no, it, 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 uh, let's see here. Oh no! The, oh, this is the movie with Freddie Gibbs in it. Felix. Oh, okay. You, were, were you aware that Freddie Gibbs is in the movie? This is actually not about a Spanish guy who becomes the third person with a job in Spain. His life is by having a job. <laughs> what is it actually about? <laughs> it says here, uh, while not explicitly a pandemic movie, this quiet character study has many of the hallmarks of COVID cinema: a small cast, outdoor locations, uncomplicated scenes, and a minimalist approach to plot. A hip hop star played by the real life rapper Freddie Gibbs has gone into the woods like Henry David Thoreau road to live deliberately his malaise beautifully conveyed in gibbs's subtle unaffected performance is specific to his own professional and personal circumstances but also captures a lot of what us have felt in the past few years it's easy to feel we must reset the terms and conditions of our lives but very hard to figure out how i guess i would uh, like to see freddie gibbs in a movie it's yeah. like sort of a quiet meditative outdoor drama i've never seen a trailer for it it's like freddie gibbs goes to live in a farm in the country and like forms a relationship with a farmer and he's like in a creative rut in his life. Maybe uh, no, I'll probably watch that. That's it. I, yeah, I like pretty good. I there's an yeah. episode of Atlanta in the last season that's just. That. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Felix, I know I know I shared this with you yesterday, but I was excited on your behalf because, um, uh, you know, mentioned among these best of end of the end of the year movie lists is a movie called The Corsage, which is about. Yes. all-time dime, Empress Elizabeth. The first hot woman ever. First woman that anyone ever went. That is a 10 out of 10. Cece, Empress Elizabeth, the woman who install, installed a spiral staircase directly into her kitchen because she would binge eat sometimes because she had an eating disorder. She didn't like her husband. Uh, she was killed by an Italian. She worked <laughs> out too much. And yet she entranced Europe in her glamour and beauty forever. 
So this is this is I think I've discovered the one new movie that Felix will see this year, other than Avatar: The Way of Water. I would no, I would see this. Yeah, I would prefer to see it at home. I don't. I I, like slow period drama about Empress Elizabeth is more of like, you know, if you're a projector owner like myself, I feel like that's more of like an at home type movie. But I would also see it in theaters. All right, there you go. So that's some uh, some 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 holiday movie uh, recommendations. Uh, I will. I've seen one of these movies, <laughs> two of them, Nope and uh, Tar, and very unlikely that I'll be seeing any of them. Uh, the other movies. Yeah, I really. Ooh. <laughs> movies, I don't know. I might movies, see the movie about the you know donkey, what? Honestly, here's the thing about movies: they had a good run. You can't argue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's some real humdingers in there. If you look through the whole hundred some year history of film. And you, we should all just cherish that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of good stuff. All right. Should we uh, leave it there for today's show? Yes. We need to do uh, plugs, though. I have okay. some announcements. Yeah, we have some announcements. Plug. Plug away, boys. All right. These are all Hell on Earth related announcements. Well, not all of them. I've got another one for Matt as well. Uh, as promised, we have a bibliography up for Hell on Earth. It is on the Chapo website, chapotraphouse.com slash hell. Uh, a reading list there if you would like to pick out some titles and uh, try to give yourself some background for the series. Uh, it is Sorry, the formatting on that page looks like shit. I am not a web designer, but we will have a real cool interactive map bibliography about a uh, website coming soon. But for the time be- being, you can just find uh, books and stuff with some annotations on the bibliography, chapotraphouse.com slash hell. We are also announcing a launch party for Hell on Earth uh, here in Brooklyn. Uh, that is going to be at Littlefield on Friday, January 20th. That will be Matt and me. Uh, we're going to be reading or presenting a, a, a live recording of another uh, kind of a bonus episode for the series for the first half and then doing a Q&A for the second half uh, and then hanging out in, uh, at a bar nearby. And then I think Will might come through. We might have some I will definitely guests. be there. Great. We might have a, a certain uh, handsome uh, Brooklyn-based historian uh, who has appeared on the uh, podcast, though I have not officially asked him to do it yet, though I'm sure he'll come through because he lives right in the neighborhood. Uh, that will be a lot of fun. Tickets tickets will be linked in the description here. That is Friday, January 20th, Hell on Earth launch party. Uh, that's me and Matt and Will. And then on January 25th, I will be in San Francisco for SF Sketchfest, where I will be get the guest of uh, the, Simpson, the Talking Simpsons uh, presentation. Simpsons predicted it. Uh, and I'll be there with Bob Mackie and Henry Gilbert talking about uh, all the things the Simpsons have gotten allegedly uh, predicted over the years, and that should be a lot of fun. That's going to be uh, the 25th, uh, 8 o'clock. These are two can't-miss events. All right, gang, that does it for today. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Okay. Yes. Till next right. time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.